You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. If you have your Bibles, I sure hope you do, uh, please turn to chapter 12 of the book of Luke. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 22 um, all the way down to 34, 22 to 34 today. So let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Again, the book of Luke, um, chapter 12, verse 22. Let me pray. Father, again, thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a faith family, Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. So we just have re- been reminded um, Lord, that none of this has just come from man, it comes from you. So as we open up the Bible, it is you speaking to us. Lord, I pray that as we walk through this passage of Jesus' teaching today, Lord, that that's what we hear. We hear God speaking to us. Lord, I just pray that I would get out of the way, that you would use me today, Lord, to speak to your children. That's what's happening. You want to speak to your children. You want to reach down and grab their chair and pull them closer to you and speak to them today. Because you are a good, good father. Lord, we thank you for that. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been teaching us to trust him. He has been using the topic of money and possessions to challenge where our loyalty lies, where our heart lies. He began this this chapter 12 here by reorienting our fears. Okay, what should you be fearful of? What shouldn't you be fearful of? And how should that govern your life? And then he warned us about covetedness and, and, and helped us to see where true contentment can be found. That was last week. Ultimately, it is found in Jesus as we unpacked last week and we looked at how Jesus emptied himself and so we should be trusting in him. But it is revealed by living a life for others, not yourself, which is how we are rich towards God. Remember, we looked at that towards the end of the sermon last week of of how do we store up treasures in heaven and we have this idea that, that the only thing that will be in heaven our souls. So we should be investing in people. Today he is going to continue to teach us to trust him. Jesus will talk about something that touches each of our lives. Nobody escapes this. There is not a person in this room who has not experienced what Jesus is going to talk about today. Let me read the first verse and you will see what I mean. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus here, he's opening this up to something that every single one of us experience, usually daily. Some days is better than others. Some days is worse than others. But this worry, anxiousness, right? Is, we're not going to get rid of it until we're glorified. So maybe we... Maybe we should dive in today and look to see, okay, how can I get help in those moments of anxiousness? How can I actually remove it? Because what we're going to see later on, it's, it's truly something we need to repent of on a certain level, and we will definitely get into that. But here Jesus is saying, do not be anxious. And whenever you look up, that is a command. He's saying, do not be anxious. But he's going to give us a, many reasons why and a lot of help 
in fulfilling that command. First of all, we're saved, we're, we're in Christ, we are His. So therefore, as, as we look at any command, we know first who we are and that He loves us, that He's given His grace. But He comes across and He starts out this section here, do not be anxious. Because we, we all worry about something, don't we? I mean, just let's be honest. Our jobs, our relationships, our families, our health, what people think about us. Maybe some of the students are worried about, okay, I have new classes this semester. What are my professors are going to be like, right? What are my professors going to be like? We all have anxiousness, worry. It's part of being in a fallen world. But Jesus comes to us and he gives us a command. He says, do not be anxious. And you know what? Oftentimes Jesus knows when he gives us a command that we can't fulfill it without him. That we're going to stumble, that we're going to fall, but that's, that's why Martin Luther always says that our life as a Christian is one of repentance. That, that yeah, we stumble, so we turn back to Jesus. We turn back to him. But Jesus comes, gives the command, do not be anxious. And then follows the statement with two illustrations. But before we look at these illustrations, I just want to look at the word anxious in the Bible. In Scripture, the Greek word merigno is used to describe both ungodly anxiety and godly concern. So there is a concern that is godly, and then there's a kind of concern that's ungodly, and, it, and this word is used in both places. In fact, in the book of Philippians, it's used both ways. He both, Paul both exhorts the church to be anxious about anything, as found in the passage we read, and, and praises Timothy for being genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. Same word used in both places in the Greek. So there must be a godly concern and then an ungodly concern. Concern. Let's briefly look at the positive. What, what is this godly concern? Godly concern is the natural over, outflow of a heart that is captivated by God's love and bent toward a love for others. Right? It's captivated by God, and then it's shown that you're captivated by God. This is what the whole book of James is about, by the outward expression of how you love others. 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We want others to be honored, for then we are honored ourselves. That's another reason. That's another godly concern. We want others to be honored more than we are honored ourselves. Romans 12, 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. See, it's, it's, it's an outward expression of what's happening inside of it. We want others to be cared for, even when it requires our own sacrifice. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We want others to see a glorify and glorify God, more than we want them to see and glorify us. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So here, what we're showing is that this word, this Greek word that's used for concern, there are some good godly concerns, right? We should be concerned to love one another. We should be concerned to give honor to one another. We should be concerned that people will glorify God and not glorify us. 
To sum it up, we are concerned about things God is concerned about, which is godly, of course. And what happens is it becomes ungodly when we don't rest in his power and control to ultimately bring them about. So yeah, it's good to have these concerns. There's godly concerns. There's also these many anxiety things that we worry about that, that we're going to see in these illustrations that Jesus is going to give us. But the thing is that sometimes these godly concerns that we have, they become ungodly whenever we stop trusting God to fulfill them, to do his part, to do most of the heavy lifting. We kind of grasp it and, and wrangle it in for ourselves and says, I'm going to do it myself. Because what happens when we do that, it, these concerns come from a heart that's not trusting God. We may become anxious that his will for our lives might be different than our own. Sometimes that's why we, we shift to this ungodly worry. Or we might lack trust in his goodness or power and become anxious to control things that are not ours to control. See, this kind of self-focused and self-sufficient concern is what Scripture is referring to when it talks about ungodly worry. This is what Paul warned against when he told the Philippians to not be anxious about anything. It's also what Jesus is referring to when he tells us today, do not be anxious. And what's happening in our hearts is instead of being captivated by God's love, our heart is questioning it. Instead of being bent toward others in love, our heart becomes bent inward, back in on ourselves. Our minds are flooded with fears and what ifs, questions. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, with, whenever the, you know, there's many different personality uh, things out there to, to kind of look at your different personality and how you're bent and this, that, and the other, basically how God wired you. And one of the things that I, I know about myself is like I'm a banker. You know, I need all the information, you know. And a lot of times I need all the information before I can act. In many ways, see, that, that could be a good thing because it's good to have wisdom before you step, right? Some people love riding the waves. Like they, they just go and do, and then they'll figure it out as they go. I'm, I'm not that person. I, I, I'm the banker. I need the information. But you know what? It, it could be ungodly in the sense that if I won't move, if I won't step into my faith because I'm worried that I don't have enough information, then that's sin because I'm not trusting God. I'm not trusting in him. So many of us are, are filled with the what if statements and then they paralyze us. What if this happens? What if that happens? Now, you know, a lot of times that's a good trait, especially if you're planning things and you're organizing things. You're thinking of all the different things that could go wrong and then that helps other people to walk in what they've been called to do, especially whenever you're looking at it through the lens of ministry. But many times we're flooded with those fears of what if? What's going to happen next? What if I spend four years getting this degree and I can't get a job? Okay. It's a good worry because you have to have some job. But do we trust God that he'll be there at the end of the four years? Adjusting your path, showing where you need to go. 
Sometimes our days are spent imagining all the potential bad things that might happen, as I was just saying. And then oh, the crazy thing we do is, is you know what, we, we might be sitting there and we're like, I'm having a good day. I'm not really worried about much. Oh, wait a minute, let me start worrying about tomorrow or the next day or next week or next month or whatever. So we drag all those worries back into the day that the peace that God was giving you right at this moment and it just jacks up today. We have a tendency to do that a lot, don't we? Some of us do it more than others. Some of us don't even, they're not even worried about two days from now. I'll worry about when I get there or I'm riding the wave now and we'll go. It's just interesting how God has wired all the difference. You know, he talks about that in Corinthians, how we've all been given different gifts. And, and those of you who are married, are, are, I would imagine that you're sitting there thinking, if you stop and think about this, you'll say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a banker and I, I married a wave runner, baby. You might be sitting there saying, I'm a wave runner and I married a banker. <laughs> well, ain't that, ain't that amazing grace that God gave you? His amazing grace that God gave you. But you know, whenever we're doing that, we are being anxious and we're worrying. And we're just not trusting in, in God. Yes, it could be good. That's why I wanted to try to show you the two different angles of this. That, yes, some of it could be good. But some of it could be sin. It could be ungodly worry, ungodly anxiousness when we're not trusting in him. So when God's word confronts ungodly worry, it's because he wants us to live free from it. That's why he's addressing it today to you. That's why he, he's pulled the chair up next to you. Because he wants you to be free from it. He desires to meet us in the midst of our concern to give reminders of two things, of his presence and his faithfulness. Of his presence, he's there. He's our father. And his faithfulness. His faithfulness suppresses what Jesus reminds us of in the rest of the passage. This is why we can trust him because he is faithful and because the Lord is near. Look what he says in these illustrations and showing his faithfulness to us. Jesus sets them up in two categories. Look at Luke 12, 23. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So he's just going to kind of divide them out into two different categories. He goes on in verse 24 to say, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. For how much more value are you than the birds? Now, he chose this bird because of his audience, right? It's, it's a mixed audience. He has disciples who are Jewish. There's, there's Jews all around him. There's Gentiles all around him. But I, I think he, he did spe specifically use the raven because in the Old Testament, this was an unclean or ceremonially unclean bird. But nevertheless, even though God has like kind of deemed this as an unclean bird, God graciously provides all they need, and we read that in Psalms 147, 9. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Jesus pointed out that these birds get what they need without sowing, reaping, or storing. Ravens are not farmers. They are scavengers. They take whatever they can get from the land. Nevertheless, they get what they need because this is the way God feeds them. And what 
Jesus is doing here, and often he does that as he's trying to show you your value to him as an image bearer of him, is he's arguing from the least to the greatest. He's saying, now look, if I take care of the ravens, how much would I, more would I take care of you who is my child? Just stop and think about this. Have you ever seen a bird sitting on a limb wigging out about where the next meal will come from? No, they're always about their business. It was interesting, Charity was telling a story about um, the trees down at the housing authority there in the fall. And, um, and obviously I'm, I'm going through this this whole chapter, you just read this chapter over and over again to try to get what, what Jesus is, is, is saying to us. And she was saying that, you know, the, the trees produced enormous amount of acorns. And so all the older residents was like, uh-huh, we're going to have a bad winter. We're going to have a bad winter. We're going to have a bad winter. It's producing lots of acorns. You know, and I'm, I'm reading this, this passage and, and thinking of this, and I immediately went to, isn't that interesting? Okay, we're going to have a bad winter where there's going to be lots of snow and the ground's going to be covered. So God's just dumping the yard full of acorns so the squirrels can gather them up and have enough to eat for the time where there's nothing to be found to eat. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't buy that, that all that kind of stuff just happens because all of a sudden we existed one day. There's a designer. There is a designer. And if we're, we're being honest, remember, he's arguing from the least to the greatest. If I take care of the ravens, if I'll take care of the squirrels, I'll certainly take care of you. If we're being honest, how absurd is it to be anxious about things that God has promised to provide? Like, he's promised to provide these things. An amazing thing is, is worry really doesn't gain us anything, does it? So therefore, we're anxious for nothing, as Jesus went on to say in verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I know some of your translations might talk about the height. You know, you can't add height. But the ESV chose to translate it this way, add a single hour to the span of life. You know, as I've been reading this chapter over and over again the last couple of weeks, I, I wonder if this is what Je Jesus is really after. The one thing that we all have equal amount of every single day is 24 hours. I mean, I, I wonder if, if what God's after is for us to honestly think about how we spend our time because that's mixed in with all of what he says here about our possessions and about money and where your treasure is and, and how you look at the material things in this world. But, but always mixed in with that is, okay, now how are you going to spend your time? I mean, after all, if you think about it, God could snap his fingers and abundantly bless us with material possessions, and then he could also snap his fingers and take it all away, just ask Job. So I just wonder if he's really digging at this time thing. The one thing that, that all of us have the same amount of. And so he's trying to shape our hearts to trust him 
You know, so that, that whenever we, we, whatever day it is, and I'm sure many of you do this, you're like, okay, I'm going to set my schedule for the week. And, and how does that look? Obviously, there's must things that have to be done. There's family things, and then there's probably job things. And then, okay, what do I do with the rest of that time? Does God come first? Or does this God get, or is it whenever people ask you to say, well, if I have time? I just wonder if he's digging at our time a little bit here. And then if that's true, if this is true, then what Jesus is really trying to show us is worry or being anxious. It cannot add a minute to your day, but it sure can rob you of an incredible amount of time. Now let's stop and think about this. Doesn't worry and anxiety and fear rob you of this precious thing that you only get so much of, which is time? In fact, worry robs us of many things. It steals our time. Our, our thoughts turn to our troubles, and then rather than praying about them or doing the things God is calling us to do, we waste time worrying about them. Or we do things to numb them, right? We get anxious, we're fearful, we're worrying. I'm gonna go do something to numb that, and I just wasted an hour. Or sometimes we look up and I just wasted three hours. Worry steals our rest. We lie awake at night, anxious about tomorrow, and then we get up too tired to work hard. And this only adds to our anxiety. Worry steals our health as we suffer the physical effects of anxiety. Just amazing how it robs us of so many things. Worry shrivels the soul it robs our joy. It leaves us ill-equipped to face the spiritual and emotional challenges of each day. There are a few things that are discouraging to our spirit or is destructive of our contentment as we talked about last week or spoils or witness as the anxious worries of a troubled heart. So Jesus asks us today in, 12, in verse 26, if you, if then... If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? If in all our worry and if, and if all our efforts, we can't add a minute to the day, then why are we being anxious and not resting in Christ? So, well, why are you so anxious? If there's nothing at all to gain by worrying and so much to lose, why worry about your daily needs? Consider the ravens and see every bird as a witness that God will provide. He will provide. Jesus' second illustration has us looking at the flowers in the fields. This is verse 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God to clothe the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the, into the oven, how much more will you clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, here, Jesus is using the same type of argument, the, the how much more argument. How much more valuable are you? Flowers do less work than we do. In fact, they do not do any work at all. 
They do not toil, they just grow. They do not spend fabric to use for clothing, they just wear what God gave them. Yet, how marvelously they are adorned. If God gave such beauty to these little flowers, what will he do for the people he made in his image and saved through the gift of his son? Jesus answers by saying, how much more will he clothe you? He's using these illustrations. No matter what you're anxious about, no matter what you're worrying about and your, your fear, notice he, he starts this chapter by reorienting your fears and he just keeps digging at it and digging at it and digging at it. Whatever you're worried about, how, how much more would it be better to trust in him? Then Jesus being the master teacher, of course, he slips right in the heart issue. He says, O oh, you of little faith. And simply put, worry comes from not believing in the God who feeds the ravens and dresses the lilies. In that moment of worry, when we're anxious, when it goes from, from godly concern to ungodly concern, when, when it's consuming us and then now we're running to comfort, what is happening at that moment is we are not exercising our faith. We are not trusting God. We are seeking other things to fulfill it. And a wonderful illustration went to the evangelism uh, work, workshop this, yesterday, and, and it's like all these things that we grab hold of, it's like trying to grab sand. Ever try to grab a handful of sand, what happens? It just kind of disappears in your hand. And so is all the things that we run to when we're anxious and worried to try to comfort ourselves. We should, we should run to him. We should be on our knees in prayer. We should be calling our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, look, man, this, this is just overwhelming me. Will you pray with me? Will you help me seek God on my behalf to help me with what I'm worried about, with what I'm, what I'm anxious about? And then Jesus comes and says, oh, you of little faith. So worry is proportional to our faith. To whatever extent we worry, to the same extent we are not trusting in God, and therefore we are sinning against him. Most people think of worry as one of the smaller sins, if it is even a sin at all. Well, no, it, yes, it is part of the fallen world we live in, and because sin has not been removed. Yes, there's good worry, but worry is sinful because Jesus just said it's because we're not trusting in him. And that's why it's like, you have not arrived. Like, I just feel like we can't get people over this hump that like, wait a minute, you're saying, the Bible says that, okay, I'm to do this, but I don't do this, and you act like God doesn't know that you don't do this. Like, you think you've arrived or something. Like, there's some bad thing because you, you might get up tomorrow and be anxious about an appointment that you have or something. And then you're going to think of this thing and say, well, Jesus said, don't be anxious. So what's wrong with me? Well, what's wrong with you is, right, you are on the path of sanctification. You have not arrived yet. So therefore, it's good to go to him and say, look, I'm anxious. I, I've stumbled again here. I, I'm not trusting in you. Will you help my unbelief? That's good. That's the Christian life. But for some reason, we think that, oh, no. Okay, here's the sermon. It, it told me what to do. Now, I'll go do it. And then if I don't do it, then somehow, you know, there's something wrong with me. No, you're just human. 
welcome to the club. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Welcome to the club. We can repent. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful gift that God has given us. This is what he's laying out, that, that we turn from worrying about controlling it, worrying about the, what, what we are going to do to make it happen, to, to turn and trust him. It's a beautiful picture of repentance. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father advocating for us as we repent, as we take things to him. Just a reminder that Jesus says that anxiety is unbelief and there is no greater sin than not believing in God. So it's just not like this little thing. It's a big thing. All sin is a big thing. When we worry, we deny God's promise that he will give us whatever we truly need. So we turn to verses 29 to 30 and Jesus says this, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He's your Father. That's the two words that here in verse 30 that changes everything. Your Father. Your Father knows what you need. Do we realize and, and ponder on and think about what it costs Jesus to secure your adoption so that you can say, Father? So that you can call God your Father and rest in his promises? And where do we see that? What did it cost him? Well, we, we look to the cross. And we think back through all the times that Jesus ever interacted with God the Father, he would say, Father, and then he would pray, except for one time. And, and I, I've known that I used this before, and I'll, I'll continue to use it as we look at adoption, but there's one time that, that he didn't use the word Father, and that was on the cross. When he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for you to bring you into the family. Because this is Jesus being put out of the family so that you can be included. He lost the welcoming love of the Father so that we could get it. He lost the supreme blessing, the family love that every heart in the world needs so that we can receive it. Because he, he lost that so that we can get it. So, and because of what Jesus did for us, we can call him Father and rest and not worry and know that our Father knows what we need. He knows what you need because he is our Father. So instead of worrying, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us the proper action step. He's, he's walked through and told us, who is God? He is our loving Father. What has he done? Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Who are we? We are adopted daughters and sons of the living God. What are we to do in light of what God has done? Verse 31. 
Instead of worrying, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. In other words, he tells us to pursue the establishment of God's rule in every area of our life. Seek his kingdom. The kingdom of God comes through the proclamation of salvation, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By faith in Christ, the grace of God begins to rule in our hearts. And as it rules in our hearts, as we take ourselves off the throne and we put Jesus on the throne, then that love and what Christ has done to us, that grace that we've received, then pours out of us onto other people. We live lives for others. We need to reason the way the famous missionary C.T. Studd reasoned in his life motto. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And the amazing thing is, is after he tells us, seek the kingdom, he tells us, well, you can't fail. Why? Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his promise. It is the father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. What does that look like? It looks as a heart of generosity. It's a heart of generosity. It's a heart of loving others. It's a heart of adding value to other people. Jesus says it like this in 33 through 34. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens um, that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart be also. To put this in, in financial terms, Jesus is calling his disciples both to divest and to invest. In other words, to give away and to bring in. There are things we, we have that Jesus wants us to give away and when we give them away, we need to put them in the right place. When we give them away, we, we put them in, in service of kingdom work. The Christian life is a continuous transfer of funds in which we divest from the world in order to invest in the kingdom of God. In other words, we're, we're giving away the things of this world to invest into the kingdom. We know that this is the best investment advice we could ever receive. Yet we still hold tight to our earthly treasure, don't we? Why is this? It is partly because we do not really trust our Father to provide. He will provide. I, I, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I've seen generosity in, in folks who had an extra car and, and, and try to help a, a student give it away. I've seen, you know, families who um, invest and give away and seek the kingdom for college students who are up here who, who don't want to go home and want to work and, and do things like that. And they open up their homes and say, just come and hang out with us. They're investing in people. 
That's what he's calling us to do. But many times our anxiety gets in the way of our generosity. Here we need to see how the teaching Jesus gives in this passage all fits together. We're not to worry because our Father knows what we need. And because our Father knows what we need, we do not need to be afraid of giving away what we have. We're, we're not to worry because our Father knows what we need. He's told us that in many different ways. And because our Father knows what we need, we do not need to be afraid or anxious or worry of giving away what we have. And that includes your time. Is there any better investment than investing time into a soul that will last forever, either eternity in hell or eternity in heaven? And just remember what Jesus is saying. We can look at our lives, a good, a good way to examine it is where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? What do you treasure? What do you hold highest? Because that's what's happening in your heart. That's what's happening in your heart. Because we cannot help to spend our wealth on the things that we have the most. When we love ourselves more than we love God, we forfeit the opportunity to give to mercy ministries, local evangelism, church planning, world missions, and just investing in our neighbor, our workmate, our classmate, and just eat a meal with them, love on them, add value to them. Again, I, I'll say it again, I think what Jesus is really after is our time. <laughs> if you're just too busy to do anything for the kingdom from Sunday to Sunday, then maybe you re should reread the warnings from the previous two weeks. Luke 12, 8 and 9 says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will deny before the angels of God. See, he loves you deeply. He is your Father, and He's calling you into a life that is more flourishing, has more joy, has more happiness. If we trust Him more and more. And we can't do it on our own. We need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us and to help us to spur one another on. Because we'll have times we're not trusting whatsoever. But a brother and sister can come in and speak truth and love to us. Give us the word. Remind us of his promises to get us over that period so we may turn and trust in him. Because there's so much to be gained when we learn to love the things that God loves and to put our money and our time where our heart is. So what investments are you making today? Jesus said we'll put our treasure where our heart is. So where is your heart? Is your heart entangled with the worries of this world? Or is your heart set on the kingdom? Just remember, he's, he's asking this within the context of showing you that God is your Father and he cares for you deeply. He cares for you deeply. He loves you. 
He wants what's best for you. He doesn't want you to be worrying, full of anxiety. He wants you to trust him because he is a good and loving father. And and you know that love because you see it on the cross in Christ. You see it on the cross in Christ, what he did for us. I'll just close with this simple nursery rhyme. Said the raven to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the raven, friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But you know we do have a heavenly father. We just need to turn to him and trust him. Spend time praying to him. Spend time allowing him to speak to you because we do have a heavenly father and he deeply, deeply cares for you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that we could see the encouragement of having a heavenly father who provides all that we need. Lord, please help us to whatever we're anxious of, whatever we're worrying about, will will you help us to turn and trust in you? You care deeply for us, much more than the ravens, much more than the lilies. You care deeply for us. Lord, I pray for you to help me and to help my brothers and sisters as we continue the journey of sanctification, as we learn more and more what it is to trust in you. Lord, help us to encourage one another and walk alongside one another in this journey. We need you, we need your word, we need your spirit, and we need your church so that we can walk in a way that honors you and build your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would help us do that. And Lord, I ask if there's anybody here today that that maybe they've never trusted in you. Lord, I pray today is the day that they saw that Christ has done on the cross to bring them into the family. That they would turn from trusting whatever they are trusting in and trust in you fully. Pray that you've given them ears to hear and eyes to see how wonderful your salvation is. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.